understand what what we're doing, what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to tell stories um, with our designs. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where for eight years, we've been talking about the business of sports, media, technology, disruption, content creation, many, many things. I'm Joe Favorito here at the end of November, right before Thanksgiving 2023, with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Hi, Tom. Hey, Joe. It was good to see you uh, last night at the uh, the event that Pepperisha did for Web3. Always fun learning about where this industry is moving. And it was especially nice to be in New York yesterday when it was like 66 degrees, which is un- yep. you know unheard of at this time of the year. Yep. And, uh, Tom, it's been weird. Tom, yep. Tom just mentioned Pep Risha. We did a podcast with him, uh, I think, summer 2021. Um, worth listening to Sporting Crypto, one of the smartest young people you will ever meet in this Absolutely. business. Yeah. And he's a futurist. But a futurist, not in just kind of throwing stuff out there, but actually in getting stuff done, which is really Yeah, and I think I mentioned you, Joe. He was in my class last week and yeah. to talk about Web3 and sports. And I, I was so impressed. He's been in my class before, but I was so impressed about how he's building his thought leadership practice with mm-hmm. not only the newsletter, Sporting Crypto, uh, which is on Substack, and everybody should uh, pay attention because we all need to know where this is going, but also the podcast mm-hmm. and the events. Joe and I were at this event last night where even though he's based out of London, he somehow got close to, what do you think, 150, 160 yeah, oh, people yep. to come to Soho. The Rally, the Rally Museum. So I've checked another museum, museum off my list. Right, which is this really interesting experience from the from the rally uh, technology and blockchain stuff. Um, but to pull that off at his uh, young age from across the sea, is really quite impressive. So anyway, enough about Pat. Let's talk about what's going on. Uh, let me just uh, ask you to comment on your experience in San Diego with the NWSL final, because that was quite a weekend. And um, it might not be as hyped up as this weekend in Las Vegas with F1, but uh, you actually got to go to that one. Neither of us is going to, to Vegas. And apparently a lot yeah. of other people are not going to Vegas based yeah. on the problem with tickets. And, and apparently they haven't been able to secure all the pot, the manholes too. That was yes. a problem. Oh, I saw night. that story. Crazy. Um, uh, but our buddy, you know, our, our colleague, Chris Lincheski is out, actually out there. And I was thinking about having Chris on for a show coming up to talk about racing, which. Oh, that'd know. be good. Yeah. Um, uh, NWSL was great. I, I think for having been in Washington last year, seeing how it's grown, obviously their massive media deal, which is big for sports, not for just women's sports. You know, and Sean McManus at the press conference talked about how amazing it was. And he had never remembered four networks sitting in the same place at the same time like that, talking about one property. And never mentioned women's sports. He talked about sports in general. I think that's kind of uh, a big tipping point for this. The execution is going to be massive to figure out how it all works and making sure that you're staffing up. But yeah, 25,000 people. It felt for people I know who've been to big events like Super Bowl, it felt like that. And uh, credit to the NWSL staff, Jessica Berman, um, uh, uh, Julie Haddon, um, Kirsten Barley, everybody pulled off an amazing event, you know, a crazy ending to a game. Um, some people said the ratings were a little bit less than what they thought, but ratings aren't really the way things are judged right now. The engagement was record setting. Uh, and I think they've really kind of set them up for a year of expansion and, and where it's going. And also, 
have set a very high bar for what MLS should be doing on the men's side uh, with their deal with Apple and, and as they move towards MLS Cup. Yeah, and uh, I, I think you might have forgotten, um, buried a little bit of the lead vis-a-vis -vis Columbia, our colleague Mary Wittenberg, the yes. president of FC Gotham, mm -hmm. uh, or is it, what's the official name, Gotham? Gotham FC. Gotham, Gotham FC, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, is in, in her first year as president. Three months, and she yeah. wins a championship. Yeah, so. that was great timing uh, yeah. career-wise for her, but um, uh, kudos to her yeah. and the rest of the team. Great story. I love to see, you know, and it was really nice, as we mentioned, I think last week in the Padjo, their new media deal, which is very impressive, you just referenced, mm -hmm. financially speaking, and that really sh should bring in a lot more investment. Yeah. And uh, 2024 will be exciting to watch. As yeah. for F1, before we get to our guest, I did not realize until two days ago, Joe, that the race starts at 1 a.m. Eastern time. Yeah, 10 o'clock yeah. Nevada time, 1 a.m. Yeah. And yeah. I haven't been able to talk to any uh, TV folks in the last few days to find out what the story is on that decision. Seems like a big miss. Is there something logistically or legally or no well i, I think it's time-wise because i mean austin doesn't start that late um i don't know whether it had something to do with the sun where where the drivers are going to be ready i know there have been issues already with the temperature right because it's you been know, really chilly there really chilly they have 40s, to keep the tires yeah. wrapped up um right uh, i think it probably has to do more with the late stages of this race and the viewership in the rest of the world versus what they care about america's uh -huh. okay um, but it's really kind of strange, and it seems like there has been a fall-off. Like I saw uh, my colleague Arash Merkazi put on Twitter this morning, got a hotel room overlooking the track yesterday for $18. What? Yeah. So so I think wow. a lot of the space has not been used. Yeah. Having been there in August, and like everyone I, I talked to who lives in Las Vegas was leaving town this week. There was no yeah. one staying around. Yeah. So, um, but, you know. Try it and see where it goes. You know, I, I saw some of the drivers actually said this is ninety nine percent show and and two percent or one percent. Oh, that was Verstappen that said that. Look, Verstappen. and part of the thing has been written up in the press is that as, as an F one fan, I, I I know this and you know this from reading all the news about. It. I know you don't probably watch as much as I do, but mm -hmm. Verstappen is kind of winning every race at this point. Right. And the weird thing in F one, and true with a lot of auto racing, if in the qualifying you get. Uh, First up to be first on the grid, you have a very high percentage chance of winning the race. And Verstappen always seems to be first or second on the grid, mm -hmm. and he is dominating the field. And honestly, a lot of these races, once they get 10, 15 laps in, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of really hard to overtake the leader, especially mm -hmm. if there's a little bit of an interval. Anyway, so we'll see. But I, I'm curious whether you'll stay up to 1 a.m. our time to watch, or we'll, you'll DVR it. Um, I haven't you? been up. I haven't been up other than New Year's Eve at 1 a.m. for quite <laughs> yeah, a while. Anyway, let's move on. So, uh, our guest has probably been up uh, at 1 a.m. because he's only 29 years old. Um, but when you talk about entrepreneurs juggling a business, which could have been a side hustle, which is becoming a big business in the collectible space and the the create the literal creation space, while at the same time pitching. <laughs> and I say yes, pitching, like pitching, developing a professional yeah. athletic yes. career right? as a professional baseball player. Um, really interesting story. Uh, Alex Katzen Stadium Custom Cleats have built a 
what was a niche business and an idea into something that is a real business and and tremendous tremendous work uh, designing shoes and other things for some of the biggest athletes in the world. Um, so Alex, welcome to the Cusp Show and tell us about how you did it so far. Yeah, yeah thanks so much. Thanks so much. So um, pretty much just started getting drafted out of St. John's University and um, getting my first paycheck and realizing this wasn't going to last too long. Um, and um, I knew I had to do something else or my career was going to be over. You know, I know, I know a lot of teammates gave it one or two years and then they had to move on. Um, you know, thank, thankfully, the, the lifestyle of a minor leaguer has changed in recent years and players are paid a little bit more of a living livable wage now. Um, but in 2015, it was uh, very, very low. Um, and I knew I had to really hustle and grind, especially in the offseason, to prolong my career. Because um, the last thing I wanted was to um, not be able to chase the dream or cut it short because I couldn't afford to play baseball any longer. Um, but, you know, that's also to say you can't force an idea. And, you know, there's there's lots of ideas and, you know, only a small percent of them are actually feasible or will work out. So I remember talking to my dad in 2015, the year I got drafted, thinking of different ideas I could do in the offseason to to make money while not being distracted, while still being able to work out and do everything that I need to do uh, to keep my career going. Um, and it started as actually buying shoes at Nike outlets, going to Marshall stores. So pretty much I'd work out like nine in the morning till noon. As soon as my workout was over, I'd drive to the local Marshalls or Nike outlet, buy some shoes, bring them home, put them up on eBay, flip shoes. And, and that was enough to survive the first couple of years in Pro Bowl. So um, just arbitraging arbitraging uh, shoes from from the cheaper stores for people who wanted them and were willing to pay more. Exactly. I mean, there were, it, it was mostly athletic footwear that I was familiar with. Um, for a few years, like Marshalls and some of these stores were, get, were selling these really high-end shoes for $20. Mm -hmm. And I was able to sell them on eBay for $75, $80, maybe more sometimes. You know, some sometimes they sold within a day or two. It, it wasn't that much money at the end of the day, but it was enough to to you know it was a, it was enough for an off season job, and it it, it worked out. Um, wow. So that was pretty much my introduction to the footwear industry. Um, started to learn a different model of all that kind of stuff, and then in 2017, I was still with the White Sox. Um, the White Sox had very strict footwear regulations for minor leaguers. You know, it was, it was always the the mantra was always you have to if you don't like it, play better. You have to really earn earn privilege and all that kind of stuff in the minor leagues. And some organizations actually have certain uh, uniform regulations depending on what level you're at. Like if once you get to double A, you're allowed to have more colors on your cleats. So with the White Sox, minor leaguers had to have pretty much solid black cleats. Um, and there was one time where I had black cleats and the Nike check was white, and one of our coordinators actually made me sharpie in the nike check so they were they were that strict back then um soon after that i was invited to play in the world baseball classic with team israel uh the qualifiers and we ended up qualifying uh winning the qualifiers and going to the main tournament and i one day i just i just had the idea of customizing my cleats i had seen it before i didn't really know anyone that did it um this was only like a, a few weeks before the tournament i had to leave for spring training so Maybe they, even if I found someone that could paint them, didn't really have enough time. So pretty much just bought some paint on Amazon and met up with a friend and painted the cleats. And 
and the rest is history. It, it's pretty much just started as a as making my own pair, posting them on Instagram, and then all my friends and teammates asking um, if they could do the same thing. That's amazing. Wait, so to be clear, you're taking what are typically just unadorned sneakers. That's I'm calling them sneakers or kicks, whatever. And you are bringing a creative design and expertise to it to make them attractive enough for people, I assume, to pay good money for them. How did that start for you artistically? Like, obviously, you had to have a creative flair to do this. Yep. Is that something yep. you just had, or did you get help on that? Yeah, I've, I, I, have, I was always into art, and I've always been pretty good at art. Um, I remember it was like a mandatory class in middle school and high school uh, that everyone takes an art class. And, um, and and I remember my artwork won some awards, like Nassau County Awards. Um, so oh. I, I always had that. I always had that in, 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 inside a little bit. Um, but just the combination of sports. I love sports, especially baseball. I love shoes and obviously artwork um, being another uh, interest of mine. You you put all three together and is exactly what we're doing. So, so Alex, walk us through, you go from, first of all, most importantly, run us through your, your pro career, like where you've been and where you are now. And by the way, also mention where you might potentially be going, which I think is kind of interesting too. And then I'll ask another question about um, the, the, the specific sneaker business. Yeah. So 2015 was my junior year at St. John's in Queens, New York. Uh, we, we won the Big East regular season at tournament, a really good team that year. Um, and I got drafted by the Chicago White Sox that year. Um, so 2015, 2016, 2017, um, it was with the White Sox. Fall of 2016, I played with Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic Qualifiers. Went to spring training in 17 uh, with the White Sox and then left early to go in the World, pitch in the World Baseball Classic um, in the main tournament in Korea and Japan. Uh, then went back to spring training with the White Sox, started the season in single A, and then got traded a few weeks later to the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, so that was May of 2017. I was with them, with the Orioles. Uh, the rest of 17, 18, um, got released after 18. Um, and then 2019, I re-signed with the White Sox and then finished the year with the Long Island Ducks in the Atlantic League. Uh, had surgery that year, uh, got hurt. Got hurt. Um, 2020, I signed with the Kansas City Royals. Um, I was in spring training with them, um, and then we got sent home for COVID. Um, so I, I never actually got the pitch for them because of the COVID year. The minor league season was canceled. Uh, 2021, I was with the Chicago Cubs, got to double A with them. And then 2022, 2023, um, well, actually, actually I got to go back. 2021, also pitched in the Olympics in Tokyo with Team Israel. Um, and then 2022, played in the Atlantic League. Uh, so the past two seasons, I've been in the Atlantic League with uh, Staten Island and Ferry Hawks. Um, I played Winter Mall last year in Puerto Rico. That was a great experience. Uh, played in the World Baseball Classic this past year with, with, with Team Israel. So team, team Israel has definitely been one of the best experiences, playing in two World Baseball Classics and the Olympics. And uh, a, lot, a lot more uh, tournaments coming up, which should, should be a great experience with them. Um, and now currently a free agent. I was just recently drafted uh, in, by Baseball United. Uh, the, the team is the Dubai Wolves, um, but that doesn't start up till next winter. So that that should be interesting. And um, you know, it seems like there's a lot of there's some high expectations for that league 
um, kind of like a breakthrough league there, trying to grow the game and. Yeah, could you guys just, can, uh, Alex, can you or Joe, I think you know about it too. Can you just describe what, what Baseball United's all about? Yes, he just he just said baseball in Dubai, by the way, for anybody yeah. who wasn't listening. Right. So bad, Alex. Right. Yep, so it's a, it's a new league. Um, it's a winter league. I think it's going to be 45 to 60 games, but don't quote me on that. Um, and there's the, the um, inaugural season is next, next, next fall slash winter. And um, there's going to be four teams. I think Mumbai, Karachi, Abu Dhabi, and Dubai, uh, which is pretty cool, right? You never you never match up those cities with 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 uh, baseball. It's a long way from Queens, New York, and St. John's. Yeah. yeah, definitely a long ways. But they're gonna they're gonna convert cricket fields into baseball fields. I think the the size of the field is very similar. They just have to build the cutouts and all that. Um, but sounds exciting. Oh my God! So you're you're yeah. in. This is a definite thing. You're going to be going to Dubai next fall. I think. I mean, nobody has contacted me yet, but uh, yeah, we we still have some time. It's not till next year. Yeah. yeah, but ironically, I met a young man this week who does baseball blogging, who is literally leaving for Dubai this Saturday for two weeks to go over baseball rules and 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 social media with them. So it's actually a thing. So there actually are people going now. Anyway. Yeah. So let's speaking of things, let's go back. So, so you make the shoes, um, you make the shoes for the World Baseball Classic. You put them online. People start asking, "How did the business start to scale from there?" Tell us about some of the people who've come along, both early and the ones who've come along, not just in baseball since then. Yeah, and a quick follow on as part of that answer, Alex. When did you know you kind of had a business? Yeah, good question. Yeah, um, probably. I'd say once the first big leaguer reached out to us. Um, so it, it was pretty early. You know, like business is very generic, right? Like, you know, it can be very, very small. I, I knew there was potential when uh, What Pros Wear, which is a big uh, baseball account that, that posts all the cool equipment that co college and professional baseball players wear. Um, so they reposted the my, my cleats for the World Baseball Classic 2017. And maybe a couple hours later, Rob Refsnyder, I think he was on the Yankees at the time, uh, DM'd us and said, hey, can, can you make some cleats for myself and my friend Aaron? And Aaron ended up being Aaron Judge. Um, I think he got called up September of 2016. So he was, he, he was known, but obviously not a superstar like he is today. Um, this was just like, so this was like, this was, I think, January or February of 2017. So he, he only had a few weeks of big league time under his belt but you know we knew who he was he sent in the cleats they were like size 16 or 17 under armor cleats um you know about extra paint to to do his cleats yeah we needed to expand on our one bottle inventory um of our royal blue paint um but got actually got to hand deliver them uh during all-star break 2017 at yankee stadium and then throughout the year worked on a few big leaguers cleats um didn't really um, didn't really think it could be anything like what it is today until 2019. Uh, 2019 is when I uh, started adding artists to the team. Um, so now, now we actually have 32 artists. Um, August of 2019, we had uh, two or three artists on our team. Um, so it's between 2019 and, and today, it's, it's definitely, um, grown, grown tremendously. I think a big part of that is, um, you know, we kind of worked backwards. We started at the professional level and worked, 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 um, you know, worked down to the amateur level. Um, 
first few years that I started this business, uh, I'd say like 90% of our clients were professional athletes. But then you realize that there's very, you know, what percentage of athletes in the world are professional? Like less than half a percent. Right. Yeah. The majority of athletes in the world are amateurs. So that's, that's obviously the bigger market, right? So people, people from the outside might think like, hey, we only work with professional athletes. But at the end of the day, the majority of our clients are, are high school kids. Um, that just that play sports, football, base, um, baseball, all the basketball, all the different sports. So I was looking at your Instagram account with 145,000 followers, which which is really impressive. But the descriptor it was what stopped me. The line is professional storytellers via football. I'm sorry, via footwear. Yep. Professional storytellers via footwear, which I thought was a great way to shared kind of the, the the general idea of the business to a, a social audience but talk about your decision to position yourself that way and what that really means yeah so I, i've changed the bio many times over the years um i think i think i'm happy I, I agree with you i'm happiest with this one like i i, I really I, i'm really digging this one um why because a, a couple of years ago um one of our you know, one of our employees um, took a video dropping off cleats in Arizona to a, a Giants player, um, and it was like a six or se six or seven second clip, right? Very generic, taken on like an iPhone, and it, between Instagram and TikTok, I think it got seven or eight million views, right? Since then, we started our delivery day video. So if in the in our main bio is SEK Delivery Day, and we actually started filming our deliveries with professional athletes. Um, we're able, you know, we're at some ballparks. We're able to get press passes, media credentials, and we're able to go on the field and hand over the cleats. And we usually go with two people, so one person can videotape. It's really cool. The players love it. You know, the players all get excited when they open You're the box. You're capturing a real-time reaction, exactly. like, an like an unboxing video. Exactly, a, ge yeah. a genuine reaction. Uh, the players are all super excited because they all, they all, we realize that the designs all mean something to them. You know, maybe maybe from the outside, they look like cool designs, but they mean, they mean the world to the actual client, right? So we really understood the personal connection between these designs and the athlete and the importance of showing it off. And we really want to show people like, hey, like, you know, you could just put a, like a cool color on the shoes, but you know, we could actually tell stories on the shoes. Um, and you know, that, 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 that Instagram bio really connects, um, our product with, uh, the client and, and people from the outside world can really understand what, what we're doing, what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to tell stories, um, with our designs. So, so Alex, take us through a little bit of the creative process. Like, an athlete reaches out to you or an agent reaches out to you and says, my, I want to do these shoes. Uh, here is my thought as to what goes in. And then how much do you guys take over? What, what's kind of like that, that process? Yeah. Every client has, has different or goes about it differently because some people know they want something, but don't really know how to like say it to us. They don't, they don't know exactly. Um, they don't, they don't know how to explain what they want. Right. So that's that's really our job is to ask questions and really get to know the person and see what they're looking to do. You know, maybe even do some research on the players, um, stuff like that, see what they're into. And it's weird because for me personally, 
I could I could help anyone in the world create a sick design that you know just by asking them a few questions, learning about them. But when it comes to myself, it's the hardest thing ever, right? So I I put myself in the customer's shoes. Like sometimes it's good to talk to like an expert or someone in this field and and get some help to um to put the design together. So a majority of our so we we have we have two different sectors of our business. We have the all the already made designs. You can just go on our website stadiumcustomkits.com. And there's over 1,300 designs on there, all different sports. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a bigger business because, you know, we don't have to communicate back and forth. There's random people all over the world, all, 24 hours a day purchasing on there. Um, but uh, obviously create your own is where we create the one of one design, where we create a personal design for that specific person. And we most likely will not replicate that design ever again unless that client wants it. Um, so the way that process works, essentially, like I said before, we just try to learn as much from the customer as possible. We have our standard questions, which we ask, you know, get a, get some feedback. Um, and then a majority of the time we create mock-ups, um, on the computer. So we actually sketch out the design, create almost like a blueprint, um, and then go back and forth, um, and then make as many edits as we need before we actually paint the shoe. And, um, with the talent that we have on our team, it's 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 pretty amazing that we're able to replicate the designs to the T as what the mock-up looks like. And these are all intended for actual performance. These these are not just for the sake of the artwork. These folks are actually using these when they play the game. Yeah, right? that's 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 a question we get asked a lot because a lot of times you see NFL players getting fined and all that. The, cra the most interesting thing is that even for the NFL, although they have some strict regulations, a majority of the custom cleats that we're making are actually for game use. And most of the time, they are team colors. Because I think in NFL, they have to be team colors. Right. I think the players just get fined when they're wearing the cartoon characters and all the crazy designs in-game. Uh, in Major League Baseball and the NBA, you're allowed to wear any color in the game, even if it doesn't match. Uh, the NFL is, is a little bit more strict. Um, so yes, they are, they are used for the game. We have players wearing them, wearing one or two pairs throughout the whole season. The paint is durable. That's something we, we pride ourselves on. There, there's obviously other artists out there, you know, who paint shoes in their house, you know, and not to knock them, but you know, like between our 32 artists and the hundreds of years of experience we have, like we, we have like, we have our, we have our own formulas. We have our own process for keeping it durable. And we pride ourselves on not only putting out high quality artwork, but the most durable uh, cleats and artwork out there. Mm -hmm. Alex, can you touch on the, the size of the collectible market and the resale market now for what you guys do? And do you get them back and help guys resell them? Or is it just kind of they go out the door and those shoes, they could do whatever they want with them? Yeah, so it, our, our connection to that industry started uh, a few years ago when we partnered with certain charities such as More Than Baseball. Um, and essentially we had professional athletes wear the cleats for maybe one or two games, sign them and then auction them off. Major League Baseball auctions actually auctioned off a bunch of them, um, including Jacob DeGrom's cleats. And from 2020, uh, he threw, he actually threw us, it was, um, a few weeks after Tom Seaver passed away and we made Tom Seaver, um, commemorative cleats. He, he threw his, his hardest fastball, I think, of his career that day. Um, and then they auctioned off. Um, on, on MLB auctions for over $8,000 and all of that went back to charity. Um, so we, we knew there was a lot of potential there. Um, and throughout the years, we've done a lot of charity stuff. The My Cause, My Cleats is a huge, uh, is huge in the, um, nonprofit space and the collectible space because the players are all representing a charity. They're signing the cleats and then NFL is auctioning 
auction off all the game used autograph cleats. Um, so that's that's been uh, that's been big. Um, and and our biggest client right now is Fanatics. Um, so if you go on Fanatics.com or even Walmart.com, I think they're a partner. Um, they have autograph signings with Judge and Corey Seager and all these big names, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., all these guys. They Most of the time, they're already signed, like the bats and the baseballs, the helmets, and they send them to us. We paint cool designs around the autograph, and it's it's a very lucrative business. Um, uh, Fanatics, Fanatics sells, a, sells a bunch of those, and you know it, you can look online. Some, some of them are going for $8,000 for a Shohei Otani painted baseball. And uh, I think in a Shohei Tanya autograph baseball might be, I don't know, $1,000 or let's say $1,500. So obviously adding the artwork is, you know, they're obvious. Fanatics knows what they're doing. They're obviously selling items at, a, at um, you know, at those prices, you know, which means people are willing to pay for, for, those, um, for those designs. Did you ever think about, or are you, because uh, I'm not as familiar um, with this maybe as Joe is, but what about for non-performance? Like if you want to wear those uh, shoes as fashion, obviously not cleats, but the world of uh, the sne- the sneaker culture world seems like ripe for this because there's already some customization there. Is, yeah. is that an option within within your business? Yeah, yeah. We we have a lot of we we've done a lot of lifestyle shoes. You know, we have a whole lifestyle shoe section on our website. We do a lot of regular sneakers as well. Pretty much everything. I mean. We, if you look on our Instagram, we also have an equipment page. So that has all of our batting gloves, batting helmets, football helmets, hockey helmets, hockey pucks, uh, headphones. We've done Beats headphones. So pretty much anything leather, plastic, mesh, wood, any, anything could really be painted. Um, we might have to use different paints for different materials, but it's all, it's all pretty much the same process. The craziest thing is that out of all those items I just mentioned, painting shoes and cleats are the hardest out of all of them because every shoe model is different has different materials if you're painting a bat it's symmetrical all around it's smooth um so uh we, we started with the hardest product well you started with the hardest product with the biggest athletes which helps too but yep. um can you talk a little bit about competition how many people how many companies are in the space right now and obviously probably when you started there weren't many it's got to be something that ramped up and when you tell people they come to you why do they come to you yeah, yeah. So, like any industry, there's always going to be competition, especially if it's growing. You know, and I'm, I'm sure we've inspired people to try painting on their own. You know, as far as direct competition, there really aren't many companies that paint sneakers, right? So, obviously, a huge selling point for us is having a team. The logistics, our team is spread out across the country. So we're able to turn around stuff very quickly. We just turned around a pair of sneakers for the uh, Oklahoma quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, um, in two and a half days, right? Wow. Because we have a studio in Oklahoma right there, right? So that's that's a huge selling point. Um, we obviously, like I mentioned before, we pride ourselves on, obviously on the, you know, our talented artists, you know, but that doesn't mean that's going to be durable. So we obviously, you know, we, we have, we have monthly meetings, we have group chats, like we're, we have, we have top secret documents, um, that we share with each other, creating all these like specific step-by-step guides on each model and each material shoe so that all of our artists are able to follow the same prep process and be on the same page as one another. Um, and then as even team orders, right? Like, the biggest one of the biggest parts of this business is working with teams 
you know, when, you know, a, a football team comes to us, that could be 80 to 300 pairs. Right. Wow. So if you're, if, if you're talking about one single artist, you can't handle all that. That would take two years to do. Right. So having a team, having a team is obviously our biggest, our biggest selling point because we're able to work with large teams and get, 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 um, larger orders done very quickly. And obviously with, with, in, a, in, you know, with high quality artwork. So then the business model is on the custom stuff. The athlete expresses interest. You make a deal and the, and the deal is you grant a price that they're going to pay you for the sneaker. You are obviously by the cost of goods, the, the, the base sneaker you're buying, what you pay your artists. And then the, the profit goes to the business. Is that roughly what's happening? Yeah, essentially, and a majority of the time we are supplying the footwear as well. Um, unless it's like a, a big college, you know. Like what are you still college. driving to Marshalls to to get the shoes? <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> not. If anyone from Marshalls is listening to this, I don't know what happened, but their the quality of shoes is not the same. They're not get. They're not really. I don't think they're working with Nike. They're, they're on to you, Alex. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're on to me, but. Um, I mean, I, I buy, we buy shoes from all over the place, really wherever we could find it. You know, we're getting discounts on some of them, but, um, right. you know, like the Jordan, no one's getting discounts on Jordans. We're paying full price for, for stuff like that. Um, but, but, I, to, I, but you do have to have the ones that the pro athletes actually want for performance reasons, not so, just because they're good so, to paint or something. No, so surprisingly, the most interesting thing is that most of these major league NFL and you know, or yeah, probably MLB and NFL players are wearing cleats from Dick Sporting Goods from the local sporting goods store, just like knew, any high school job. kids. And, yeah, it's not, they're not any different except for like the Jordan athletes, the signed Jordan athletes, where maybe they're six out of 700 plus major league baseball players, or six sponsored players by Jordan. Um, they're getting custom made, specially fit shoes from Jordan brand, but. Every other athlete wearing Jordan cleats in the MLB or NFL is wearing those generic um, stock models from Dick Sporting Goods or Nike.com. That's hysterical. What about yeah. global soccer? It seems like that would be a massive opportunity. Yeah, we talk about this all the time. That's That might even be a, the biggest market out there. I think it's one of the most popular sports in the world. Of course. Um, so to us, it's, it starts as it starts as releasing designs on our website because that draws attention. Then people think, right? We we've always been able to paint soccer cleats, but if we have no designs on our website, we're less likely to attract soccer players. Pe people create these perceptions in their mind: oh, they don't have anything on their website it means they don't paint them, mm. right? Instead of asking, so that's definitely one of our goals to uh, paint more soccer cleats. Um, we we did we did paint some so some uh, training shoes for uh, the number one soccer player in the world a few weeks ago. So. Um, once, maybe once we post those this week or next week, we'll get some traction. So um, we, we made some shoes for Messi a few a few weeks ago. So Wow. Well, um, I mean, I think, if, yeah, that, I, if that pops, then you're yeah. on your way. You'll be okay. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think he'll repost them. I mean, if that, uh, that might you be bad know. for the business. If he repost, that might be bad for the business. It could, it could shut us down. Um, yeah, good problem. You know, we're, yeah, we're not a, we're not a factory if... if yeah. It's it's weird to say, but if we sell too many shoes, it's not it's not good for the business. Um, wow. So yeah, I, but I, I think just posting them is going to get some good traction, and 
Uh, there's there's so many fans. If they get a hold of them, I'm sure they'll repost and all that. Yeah. Um, last question from me, Alex. Um, we talked about this a little bit when we were at MetLife Stadium a couple weeks ago. How how do you balance both careers? Like, how do you manage your time? By having zero free time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Good honest answer. Yeah, because you're, you're still training, right? I mean, you're training to get ready to yeah. play baseball again. Yeah, yeah essentially, yeah, essentially in the, in the off season, um, I'm working at I'm working out in the morning. I spend as much time as possible working out. Uh, you know, as much time as I need, and pretty much every free second I have, once I'm done working out, I work on the business. Um, it, it really never it really never stops. You know, like I I might even have to get on a couple of phone calls while I'm driving to the gym and, and stuff like that. You know, there, there's always something to do, but to me, um, my playing career is, is most important um, because I know the business I have more control over, right? Meaning I could work at my own pace. If that kind of makes sense, baseball career, the only thing I control is how hard I work, you know, who signs me or any of that kind of stuff is out of my hands. Um, so that's that's why I put all the effort I can into my playing career. That's not to say I don't put as much effort into the business, but I'm able to do it at my own pace. I'm the boss. You know, I, I nobody's telling me what to do. Um, you know, I could run the business. I could stay up till three in the morning, you know, and, and work whenever, whenever I need to. Um, so do you actually uh, have a staff? Yeah, I mean, we have we have we have 42 people involved in the company. Um, 32 of them being artists. As far as the business goes, I'm doing majority of the business stuff. I'm pretty much doing a little bit of everything. I'm not painting as much as I used to. A few years ago, I was painting in the off season like five to ten pairs a week. Um, so I was, you know, that I realized if I'm if I spend too much time painting, then you know I'm taken away from the business. And obviously, you know, there's there's people working for us that rely on us to put food on the table. So you know, I take pride in that. It's my responsibility to make sure orders are coming in. Um, and making sure we have that consistent flow of orders, you know, because, you know, obviously, you know, our, our artists are paid per project, you know, so if there's no orders, they don't get paid. So that's, that's a big responsibility on me. I've, you know, I take pride in the fact that in, you know, six, seven years of running this business, we've never had an artist that didn't have work to do. They've always been busy. They've always had orders to work on. Um, so that's, I think that's, that's the thing I take pride in the most. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's amazing. Tommy, and, and so if you, yeah, I just want to add one more, Joe, just to, to maybe wrap up the, uh, the story in terms of the future. Uh, when the day comes where you, um, as they say, get, put the cleats down. I would say hang up the custom cleats. Hang up, what's the phrase, Joe? Hang up the cleats? Yeah, hang up yeah. the cleats, I guess. Hang up your custom cleats. Um, do you see this as a business, like a generational business? Like you could do this for a couple of decades and really make this bigger? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I think we probably will need some sort of headquarters or office at some, at some point, uh, whether we have our artists working out of there or not, that's to be determined. Um, but I, I think that would be important. I've always, you know, with, with some of the people that, you know, that, um, you know, that helped me with the business side, uh, we always thought about the idea of opening something up by like City Field, which actually makes even more sense now. Because like look look at what they're developing around City Field. Yeah, you got the right. US Open, you have the Met Stadium, you have the soccer stadium coming soon. Like that's that's gonna be that might be the biggest like sports like headquarters, sports centric area in, in all of New York State, maybe in all of the world in a few years. 
But how cool would that be to have like a little shop or headquarters there? Um, so visiting players or even Mets players could just hop across the street and design cleats like that. Um, but I mean, right now the the Mets have been great to us. They give us media passes, so we're able to bring our laptop on the field, and Ari or one of our designers is able to go in the field and get there a few hours before the game. The players sit in the dugout; they love it, and they actually get to design the cleats with him in person. Um, so it, as long as we could keep growing that, you know, and building that relationship with the players, you build that loyalty, these athletes and stay loyal throughout their careers. Um, I think, I think that's important. Um, I think this business is here to stay. Um, I think we have to keep getting creative and coming up with new ideas, new designs, um, new products, stuff like that. But, um, you know, I don't think, the cool thing about the footwear industry, it's here to stay no matter what technology changes, right? People are always going to wear sneakers. They might look differently over the years, but I think footwear will always be there. Um, you know, it's not like running a gas station, right? Like who knows? We may never, we might not have gas stations in 10 years if everything becomes electric. EVs, right? yeah. so, um, you know, maybe gas stations are all turned into charging, charging stations. Uh, that's just one example, but I think, I think the footwear industry is here to stay. And I think, we're here to stay as long as we keep in innovating. Um, Joe, I'm picturing Alex on a future uh, episode of Shark Tank, pitching this business. Because when you said before, I don't want to get too big because so I wouldn't be able to keep up like with soccer. As Joe said, that's a great problem to have. And that suggests maybe if you want to take this to the next level, you would need to actually capitalize it uh, further because it seems like there's so much potential. So maybe Mark Cuban would get behind you as one of the Sharks. Yeah, he's in. He's into sports. Um, I know, and he's yeah. I mean, he could probably relate to this. Yeah, Damon John too. He's into uh, fashion, fashion and apparel. Right. So may, maybe they, they maybe they both can team up. And, uh, but and it's that. also good. Like as as a as Shark Tank viewer, I would say this is kind of a good story that the producers who pick the companies probably would really like because this this would play well on TV. This this story. Good yeah, for thought. Yeah. yeah, it would be cool. All right, Joe. Yep. So, Alex, um, we ask uh, all our guests two questions at the end, pretty simple ones. One is, with everything that you're balancing out, where do you go to get your best information to, to build your business? Probably the business side more than the baseball side. And then you're only 29. There's a lot of people older than you, some younger than you that are either starting out, have an idea, or are looking to pivot careers. So what advice do you give them? So how do you stay up to date? And then what advice do you give? Yeah, so I stay up to date probably um, the most by Twitter. Good follows such as such as yourself um, and newsletters that you send. Mm -hmm. um, Shark Tank, like you just mentioned, I watch it every night. Um, I, it, it's good. I mean, it, it's real. It's a TV show, but like it, it's real. And like you learn, you know, you learn what the investors are looking for. You learn the questions. You know, you learn how to run a business efficiently from successful people, you know, but, um, so, so those are two things. And I, I think a lot of it, you know, obviously I learned a lot of St. John's. I minored in business. Uh, so I learned a lot there. St. John's was great because the adjunct professors were amazing. Like they were actual professionals from the real world. Like we had an MBA scout, MBA agent, we had executives, we had people from yes network come in, you know, just learning, you know, meeting people from all different fields and, um, learning from professors who actually did it in the real world. Mm -hmm. you know? okay. So I think that, I think that was, um, I think a combination of all those and just 
just through trial and error running a business. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been uh, an entrepreneur. I've always been interested in starting my own business from selling the shoes on eBay. And even as a kid, I would take old wood bats and sand them down and repaint them, you know, and maybe make 10, 15 bucks, right? And start to learn how business worked then. Um, st- and still learning. I'm not, you know, I know a lot, but I'm not an expert by any means. I'm still, I'm still learning it and still like, uh, essentially playing dumb and learning from more experienced people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then best advice for someone looking to, uh, shift careers. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's tough. It's kind of a tough question for me because I'm doing two things at the same time. A lot of people think that you have to do one or the other. So personally, I would say maybe have a slow transition, maybe at in some, maybe over a course of a couple of years, do both, right? Start to whatever you're looking to get into, maybe start little by little while you're still doing other job. Cause I think the biggest fear is, is not having a reliable income, right? And from 2017 to 2019, 2020, like I made absolutely no money doing this, you know, like, it, it was nothing, you know, it wasn't a legitimate income, right? So most people, most people can't go three to four years without making any, making us a, a suitable income, right? So that's, that's definitely, it's definitely, tr- it's definitely tough to transition, especially if you're starting your own business. If you're transitioning into, you know, being an employee and having, a, you know, a, a set income, that's different. You know, and, and I, I've never, really, I've never experienced that. So I wouldn't be the best person to give an advice to. That. That's very honest. Cool. We love that. Tom, any uh, parting thoughts? No, I've, I've all, all due respect, man. Like seriously, it's a great story. And uh, I loved your answer about when Joe asked about time management and uh, I forget how you phrased it, but like uh, you don't do any, you know, it, you're, you're working basically all the time and hopefully you find some balance just mentally to make sure you're good with all that. Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs can get burnt out, and to be an yep. entrepreneur, and on top of that, have the demands of a professional athletic environment so, around you, where your performance is like measured, tested every time you walk onto the field, that's that's pretty intense. So, so good yep. for you for for balancing that. That's that's really impressive. Um, no, I I would just say that uh, I love this idea. And I'm I'm glad to hear it's going well. And I I I'm looking forward to seeing how you scale it. Partly back to that Shark Tank reference, because ultimately there's it's it's finding the product market fit, as they say. We discuss uh, you're you're you found that you have proof of concept, like this is a real thing. There's a real business here. And then the question is how how do you make it into a, a larger enterprise? Uh, which it sounds like it's inevitably going to get there, but it will be. The continuation of this journey so well done so far thank you i appreciate it i think cool. i think it's most important just to do what you enjoy doing you know then it then it doesn't become overwhelming you know mm. like part of my job was meeting up with joe last week and going to the jets game like how could you beat that like technically that was work right it was networking and potentially working on some cool projects together like and like you can't beat it there, there's some cool perks that, that come with um you know, being in this industry and you meet a lot of great people. Right. Cool. Thank you. Alex, last thing, most important, where do people find Stadium Custom Kicks? Yep. So our website is, is stadiumcustomkicks.com. Uh, Instagram is just at Stadium Custom Kicks. TikTok at Stadium Custom Kicks. Um, 
Facebook is just Stadium Custom Kicks, and then Twitter is Stadium CK. Since uh, I think usernames have to be a little shorter. What's the mo- by the way? What's the most important platform for you right now in terms of engagement, activity, and sales? Uh, the website actually. The the SEO is is really really good. Uh, most people think Instagram just because we have a good amount of followers, but the the website actually gets um, the best traction. Nice. Uh, if you search if you search custom footwear, like it's like us and Nike right at the top. It's it's wow. it's it's really good, really good. Nice. Cool. Well, uh, Alex Katz, Stadium Custom Kicks. Thanks for joining us on the Cusp Show. I've been a fan for a long time. Well, for a long enough time. Tom just became a fan. Uh, and we're really looking forward to see kind of how this goes and following both your careers on the mound and and with the paintbrush. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. Once again, you've been listening to the Cusp Show. Our guest today was Alex Katz from Stadium Custom Kicks. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson. We will see you down the road. And for those who are celebrating, have a great Thanksgiving.